kids are going to fill their idle time with something that is stimulating and engaging. And the reality is video games right now are better than they ever have been. They are so good that our kids are going to play them. So it's up to us to be a part of their gaming experience. And part of that is playing with them because that by default changes the context of what they're doing. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups for winter 2021 will begin on January 18th. It's closer than you might think. I will start contacting people in December, so send me an email at brendan at ADHDessentials.com or go to the website ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups for more details and to register for a free, no-obligation consultation. It takes about 20 minutes. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb. The live Q&A for the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network will take place on Tuesday, December 8th. I'd love to see you there. Go to ADHDrewired.com events for more details. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Stephen Dutzman. Stephen is the founder of Engaged Family Gaming. He has made it his mission to support parents who want to play games with their kids by providing them with the information they need to make the process of finding and exploring new video games and board games as easy as possible. In today's episode, Stephen and I talk about using video games and board games to engage with our families. We discuss whether or not video games are really as big of a problem as people like to say, how they can give our kids the opportunity to be experts at something and share that expertise with us, the overuse of the word addiction, as well as using board games as an alternative for family connection. Throughout, Stephen shares specific games we might try, as well as possible pitfalls to avoid. This one is excellent. All right, let's get rolling. My name is Stephen Dutzman. I am the founder of EngagedFamilyGaming.com. That's a website on the internet where parents like myself and the rest of my staff come together. We want to give parents the tools and advice so they can get their family game on, right? We want parents and kids playing together be it video games, board games, educational apps, Dungeons and Dragons, you name it. We just want parents and kids making memories together. That's exactly why I'm having you on. My audience knows probably that I'm a pretty big gamer. I've been playing D&D for over 20 years now. I'm running three games at the moment. One for my kids and their friends to help them get some social time. One for my old college buddies who I've reconnected with and another for some other friends of mine. Uh, and as a family, we play board games fairly regularly. We just got the Exploding Kittens expansion, the Imploding Kittens. Did that uh, yesterday, I think. Mm, very good. 
and we're fans of Nintendo Switch games. We mostly do Zelda, Breath of the Wild, and Animal Crossing. Those are two good choices. <laughs> yeah. Those are definitely yeah. two good choices. Talk a little bit about engaged family gaming and what got you to where you are now. What sort of brought you to the, the family gaming table? Sure. So there's two experiences in my life that kind of brought me to create this site. The first one goes way back. And it was uh, when my parents bought me a Nintendo, me and my brother, a Nintendo entertainment system. And so this was obviously the mid eighties. It was a relatively new thing. And uh, I remember that day vividly uh, more so than my parents do actually. And uh, you know, we, my parents set it up and my dad did specifically. And then my mom brought me and my brother up and we started playing and he was showing us duck hunt. Now he was showing it to us and I'm using air quotes for the show uh, because I already had played all of these games at a neighbor's house. So he was demonstrating it to me, but I was like already kind of an established expert in my own head. And I remember being like, okay, duck hunt is cool. I want to play super Mario brothers. Cause it came with the two pack cartridge and my mom looked at my dad and was like, is it safe? Like, is it okay for him to do that? And I remember looking at my mom and my initial, like, first reaction was being incredulous. I didn't know the word for it then, but I was like, what are you talking about? Is it okay? Is it safe? And I told her, like, mom, no, it's just a game. It's safe. And let me show you. And then I picked up the controller and I was terrible at it because I was a kid, but I played it and I showed her that it's perfectly safe to play Super Mario Brothers. And so that philosophy of trying to demystify games for people who were very confused by them, I did forever, you know, so it, that kind of set me up. And eventually, I started to want to write it write and con create content around games. And at first, I just tried to get into regular old games journalism. So I was writing about Call of Duty and Madden and stuff like that. And I really had trouble finding my voice. And I was going to quit because I just wasn't getting ahead. And the day that I was going to quit, my wife, and you know, I credit her for all of my good ideas, was like, you know, you've been telling parents about video games and how they're good and helping them find good ones for so long. Why don't you just do that? And at first, I dismissed it because, of course, I did. And... Within an hour, within my own head, I was like, oh, this is a great idea and like claimed it for myself. Uh, my wife has reminded me that I claimed her idea as my own. Uh, and I just totally went crazy. And within a week, I had a URL and a logo. This was in January. And by E3, which is in June, I was taking a week of vacation off from the day job and had recruited a crew of volunteer writers and I took the week off and just created a bunch of content. And that was seven years ago. And so now we podcast and we live stream and we're trying to do the YouTube thing. I'm trying to make it as big as I possibly can without it going nuts. I talk to a lot of parents who are like, video games are the spawn of Satan. And my kid is addicted to video games and that kind of stuff. And as we were talking prior to recording, like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a huge terrible thing and maybe it's not maybe it's your perspective and maybe we need to have a little bit of conversation around that so i'd love to hear your perspective on video games and also for the parents who are genuinely concerned and are right to be worried about their kids spending too much time on screens as opposed to talking to people i'd also like to discuss how can we use board games to bridge that gap between video games and family connection i can do all of those topics you're the you are in the driver's seat Let's start with video games. Why do we not need to worry about them? 
So I think the number one most overused word when it comes to video games is addicted. We live in a society where everything is extreme and everything is crazy. And, you know, we are all trained to use extreme words. I hate that. I love that. I'm so happy. You know, I'm going to die, you know, whatever, right? Like this is how we're trained. Addicted is a very overused word. And part of that is because it has a clinical definition. Like it, it is a real medical term. You don't want to over apply it because then it means things that it doesn't. And so really what's happening with our kids in almost all cases, I'm certainly not going to deny that there are some situations where there are kids or adults that have really unhealthy relationships with the games that they play. I can say firsthand, I am someone who has had an unhealthy relationship with a game before. I had to walk away. We can put a pin in that and talk about that later if you want. But what's happening is if a kid is really engaging with a game and they're playing it a lot to the point where you think that it's excessive, they're probably not addicted because if they were addicted, truthfully, they wouldn't be taking care of themselves. They wouldn't be eating. They wouldn't be you know, be harming their relationships with their family, their friends. They'd be skipping homework in school to do it, like all sorts of stuff. In a lot of cases, especially now with uh, COVID-19, or as we call it on our podcast, we call it the Fire Nation attacking, because I try to avoid, uh, <laughs> you know, bringing up the name. Um, so for as long as the Fire Nation is attacking, you know, my kids, they play online, but they, they're playing Minecraft, but they're playing together. Or, you know, there are kids who play Fortnite and they'll play Fortnite in voice chat with all their buddies from school that they haven't seen since March. And that's a fundamentally different experience than just jacking into the Matrix and, you know, playing Tetris for 20 hours straight. Context matters. And so you just got to think about what they're doing. And also balance is important too. You know, it cannot be a healthy behavior and not be addiction. Kids are going to fill their idle time with something that is stimulating and engaging. And the reality is video games right now are better than they ever have been. There are more of them that can hit every little facet of what we like. You know, you and I, we both like games, but we have varied interests, right? The reality is it could be as simple as we both like video games, but I'm a big football guy and you're a big baseball guy. Hypothetically, I don't actually know. Basketball, but yeah. <laughs> basketball fine so nba 2k 21 looks absolutely bananas yep and frankly i'm not the biggest nba guy in the world but they put enough role-playing game elements into the 2k series that me as a big rpg fan i almost gave one of our rpg of the year awards to nba 2k 19 because it's one of the best role-playing games that came out that year fundamentally and so they're so good <laughs> that our kids are going to play them so it's up to us to be a part of their gaming experience. And part of that is playing with them because that by default changes the context of what they're doing, right? They're not playing alone. They're playing with us. It also gives us a bit more understanding of what they're doing, right? If you've played a match of Fortnite with your kids, then you know how long a game of Fortnite is. You know what that emotional roller coaster they're going on is. And also maybe just a little bit, you might actually like it. And it allows us as the parent to take the back seat. Last night, it was a little annoying. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that this wasn't. But last night, I was playing Zelda. My son is sitting right behind me. Well, Dad, you should go over here and do this. And Dad, try this thing. You, if you want to find this thing, you just go over there and do this and talk to this guy. And then you, you have to give him this thing. And then you'll get this thing. On the one hand, I was like, get out of my head. Like, I, I can't do anything and listen to you at the same time. I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm totally confused. 
but also it lets him be the expert. And it's important that our kids get to be the expert sometimes. And video games are a great spot for that to happen. Man, listen, you are, and, and I mean this in earnest, I've been doing this for seven years. You are the first person who has used that phrase with me without me prying it out of them. The idea that video games present our kids with an opportunity to be the instructor, to be the expert, and they let us be the student. It's a lesson in humility that I think a lot of folks need. And the reality is nothing is a better illustration of that is when I try and play a Pokemon game. As much as it's been around for 25 years and I'm a 40-year-old video gamer, you would think at some point I would have gotten into that. And the reality is, man, I have not. It's a blind spot. I know Pikachu, right? Like, and I know it exists and I know it is objectively good. I know that it is a big deal, but I don't know the finer details. I haven't memorized some of the strats or, you know, I don't even know typing. Like the type chart is just a weird flow chart to me. So when I play Pokemon Sword and Shield and I have to ask my kids, like, what am I supposed to do here? How do I build my team? How do I make this work? It really does give them an opportunity to sit at the head of the class. And you're right. They don't really get many opportunities to do that. And I think a a good lesson for them is to be able to teach with grace because not everybody is really good at instructing someone and not being a jerk about it. You know, they're like, oh, I'm the expert, blah, here's the information. It's really useful to be able to impart information to other people and be nice about it because eventually you're going to have to do it. That's one of the great things about, about anything that our kids are engaged in that we are not. It doesn't have to be video games, but often it is, is their ability to be the experts, to know the thing better than we do and share that information with us. And then maybe we get to help them share the information a little more effectively and a little more gently and a little more gracefully. The advantage with games, not even interrupt, I think that one of the other advantages with games is that the stakes are low. If you were teaching me how to change my brakes, that's a big deal. We got to make sure that we do that right. And I know this because my brother-in-law has taught me how to change my brakes and every step matters, right? There's not much room for error. If I'm being taught how to build my Pokemon team so I can take on a dragon type gym, Like if I lose, I lose 15 minutes of my time and they get to laugh at me a little bit for screwing up, right? It's a positive outcome, really. But if I if I don't do the breaks right, I crash. And that would that would be not fun. Video games give us that built-in safety net of being quote unquote serious and important with low stakes. As long as we give them that quote-unquote serious and important weight, right? As long as we're not dismissing them, we're like, you know what? This is important. These are your Pokemon. This is your expertise. We can experiment and learn without moving into, you know, high-stakes stuff. Other things they give us or, or our kids or whoever is the objectives in video games are usually really clear. It's really easy to figure out what you're supposed to do next. And that's not how the real world works. We don't always know exactly what we're supposed to do next. And if we do, we might not know how to do it exactly. That makes it challenging because if we fail at it, mom's disappointment or dad's disappointment feels harsher, no matter how kind mom and dad are about it, than like a sad-faced NPC in a video game who's like, oh, you didn't get my widget. Or a game over screen, which you don't even really see anymore in modern games because game over is no fun. I totally saw one last night. Uh, well, I mean, you were playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. That's how that works. That game is uh, Breath of the Wild is the best video game Nintendo has ever made. Full stop. That's my. That's the hill I will die on. 
mm-hmm. but it is a challenging game. It is, it's going to make you work. But the part about Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild specifically, and this is common with a lot of other games that are difficult and have like an achievement where there's a certain level of achievement for completing goals is watching your kid like complete an objective and watching them take down a, a, one of the Ganon bosses or, you know, whatever. Um, there's that Fiero moment. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Reality is Broken by... I have not. You should definitely read Reality is Broken. I think you would appreciate it significantly. The last name is McGonagall. Uh, and I want to say Professor, but it's not. because That's a <laughs> Harry Potter thing. I'm going to use the power of the internet and look it up for you. No joke. I actually have pondered getting like three or four copies of it and putting it into like uh, having like an EFG like loan library where I mail it to you and you mail it back. And the worst case is it gets lost and I'm out 15 bucks. Just about everyone who has come to me and been like, my kid is addicted to games. Uh, I have shown them this game. Her name is Jane McGonagall. Uh, It was published in 2011. It's only like 14 bucks on paperback. No joke. It was life-changing for me when I read it because it helped me understand some of the things that I was feeling. She talks about video games as being like productive work. Mm-hmm. Like it's work. And, you know, we may not value it the same way because it may not have the same value, but it's still work, right? You're still completing tasks and achieving objectives. And she really explained uh, why it does what it does to that lizard brain in us. And the, also the other pieces, she does it from an optimistic point of view in that she is a, she's a game designer. She's a doctor. She's a brilliant mind. I've seen a bunch of her Ted talks, but she does it with an optimistic point of view. And that aligns with me. That's why I think addiction is the word as a word is overused. Part of that is just because it has such a negative connotation. The reality is it's not broken. There's probably a way to adjust and fix it or it's a temporary state. And that's absolutely true. And we can put a pin in that and talk about that temporary state. But the, for me, I like to think of it as it, there's certainly a way we can engage with it and we can make use of how engaging these games are to get what we want out of it. And a lot of that comes down to putting in the work to take advantage of it. And some of that just involves the work of playing with our kids. Shucks. Yeah, I know. That stinks, right? Like, that's terrible. God forbid we should have to play with our kids. For some people, it is. And a lot of that is because they dismiss games as this arcane thing that they can either never learn or have no interest in. And the reality is, if you give me a human being, there is a game that they will enjoy. 15 years ago, okay, maybe not. But now, everyone has a video game that they will enjoy. And or a video game related activity that they will enjoy. They just need to let themselves They just need to let it go. Even zooming out from video games, right? Play is how we learn. Oh, absolutely. And play is how we regulate our emotions. Play is how we connect with each other. Play is everything about human interactions. It's a major component of our social lives and our ability to connect socially. And that's why games matter. That's why video games matter. That's why board games matter. That's why tag and hide and seek matter. The nature of play that comes from all sorts of games is crucial to helping us connect with our kids. We've already mentioned playing video games with your kids is going to help them feel connected to you because now you're respecting their stuff. But also one of the things that we need to do if we want to help our kids 
you know, play a little bit less on the video games is we have to give them alternatives. Like what else can they play? Sure. I often recommend to parents that you should find some board games that you can play as a family because kids playing video games all the time. Part of why they get sucked in or get diverted in to those video games is they play video games a little bit. Mom and dad at first are like, Oh, I have like an hour to myself. That's great. I'm going to take that hour. And then you get an hour and a half and then you're getting two hours and then you're getting three hours. And at some point you're like, wait, I'm not seeing my kid because they're playing Fortnite or whatever. And now all of a sudden you want to pull them out of this thing that was at one point useful for you because you got an hour to yourself. But if you want to bring them out, you have to give them an alternative. And often something that can draw a kid out of their video game is time with mom and dad, but you got to have a plan for what that's going to look like. Can you recommend any either thought processes or games that are sort of board games, family, forced family engagement games? So I would never encourage forced family engagement or for, you know, that's a, yeah, I use that term loosely. I don't literally mean forced. I just wanted to go on audio record saying, <laughs> um, but so, uh, cause that's a, well, forced family interaction is a road trip with no cell phones. That's right. what that is. And good luck to anyone that wants to do that. That's why, that, for me, that's why cell phones were invented. As far as what they can do, you hit the nail on the head, right? You know, the video games will fill the time that they are allowed. If I was told that I could play video games for 12 hours with no interruption, trust me, I would do it. I can't because I am a, an adult and I have responsibilities. But man, if I, if, if I was allowed to, it would happen because they never end. They just don't. In fact, most good games right now have this never-ending quality to them, Fortnite, Minecraft, etc. So you definitely want to break it up. And board games are a great way to do it. Engage Family Gaming, you know, a big part of my focus from the beginning was video games. We started covering board games kind of by accident because in the beginning, it was just going to be a video game site. That was all I wanted to do. And I was asking for volunteer writers and someone was like, hey, I'll write about board games for you. And I was like, you know, fine, we'll do a once a month feature of a game or something, you know, whatever. I needed content, so I wasn't going to be picky. And it turned out that some of that stuff was the most, the heavy, the heaviest traffic stuff on the site. And so eventually I was like, well, guess I got to do this. And so now it's turned into roughly half of what we create is board game related. I definitely think that parents who have not ventured into modern board games absolutely should. A good portion of your audience, just like a good portion of mine before we start talking about it, when they think of board games, they think of Monopoly and Sari and, you know, Canasta and, you know, like all that stuff, right? Like the old stuff. The reality is there is a industry of hobbyist board games that has had double digit growth for the last seven years and it's showing no signs of slowing down. And there are board games based on every theme you could possibly imagine. One of the heaviest and coolest strategy games I have ever played is about owning a winery. Uh, it's called Viticulture. And it's literally, it's about owning a winery. And, you know, there are games that take three minutes to play and you can just fire through a bunch of them. There are games that you could sit down with your kids and play literally for an entire day. And obviously, everything in between, every theme you could imagine. Uh, Patchwork is about making quilts. And I'm looking at my back behind me. 
let's see, there's Harry Potter games, there's history games, there's sports games, you name it, it's all out there. All you really need is just one of those boxes in your house. And the good news is they're, they're away from the screens, they are family time, and they're very engaging if all of you are kind of buying into it. And that's where the themes come in. I think, you know, figuring out a theme that your kids really dig and that you at the very least tolerate will get everybody on board. And then once you figure out if board games are your thing, the world is your oyster. The shelves behind me that are blocked by my daughter, but you know, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Many of them are very different, uh, but we, you know, we really enjoy a lot of the experiences we get out of them. We just picked up a game called Story War. You get a character and an item. And then there's also like a, there's a judge and the judge flips over a, like a setting, like a location. And your character with their item fights the other person's character with their item. And you just argue about who would win. It's not, there's no like points and stuff. It's just, well, mine is a snake with an ax and yours is a minotaur with a poodle on a leash. Well, the poodle would eat the snake. The snake can't even wield that axe. No, my snake is going to wrap itself around the axe and swing it at your minotaur. And you're just discussing and arguing. And, and it's a lot of fun. And it, it teaches social skills. It's weird. Like, you get weird combinations. There's another game called Super Fight that has a very similar vibe to it, similar feel. And Apples to Apples, which is not about battling, but has a similar idea, where you're just kind of negotiating whose is better in terms of the cards that they've got together. In regards to that genre of games the have a judge pass it you know i'm gonna make a recommendation uh that is one that snuck up on us at the beginning of the pandemic it's available at target it's called what do you meme family edition what it is is a bunch of image cards that are older memes and then the cards that are dealt out to you are captions and so a meme will play out and everybody has to choose the caption and then the judge has to pick the best one. There are two versions. There is a grown-up version that is a white box. Don't get that one. You want the one with the dog on the front. That's also a bigger box that is blue. It also says family edition on it, but I've noticed that some people skip that part and just assume that both games are the same. The original What Do You Meme is not appropriate for kids, but family edition totally is. It's mostly just fart jokes, which is for me, because I enjoy juvenile humor, is really good. If you just want to laugh together, or if you just want to be stupid, it's that kind of game is absolutely perfect. You want to go on an adventure, man, there's plenty of games. Or you can just play Dungeons and Dragons. That is a way to go on an adventure. It's a way to go on a lot of adventures. Right. And I love the fact that you said the word genre, because I don't think everyone realizes that board games can come in genres. Because we're used to like Monopoly and Sorry and, and Scrabble, which I guess Scrabble is a different genre than Monopoly and Sorry. They are. What are some of the genres we should be looking for in board games? People should definitely look at cooperative games. Cooperative games, and literally, if you just go to, I mean, I, and you, I'll just plug my own stuff. You go to engagefamilygaming.com and, uh, and look up cooperative games. We have a list of good cooperative games to play. Most people assume board games are competitive, right? The games that we played when we were kids you know, the Monopolies, the Scrabbles, whatever. Those are competitive games. Me versus you. Sometimes there were teams. Sometimes you formed alliances politically in some of that, right? Risk comes to mind. But most case, everybody at the table was against everybody else. 
cooperative games are literally the opposite of that is everyone is playing together to try and beat some mechanism with, within the game, which in some cases they are more elegant than others. So some really good examples of that one would be pandemic, which admittedly is somewhat timely. However, I actually recommend pandemic right now because it has an op for me, I view it as optimistic because if everyone works together and follows directions, you win. And another one is Forbidden Island, which is from GameRight. It's like 20 bucks. It comes in a metal tin. The tiles are nice and chunky. It is very simple. It is very visual. And you are a bunch of people going to a sinking island trying to find these treasures and then get to a helicopter and escape. And everybody has a different role and has different stuff to do. The key, I guess I'll give the warning after each genre, the big warning with cooperative games is you have to truly cooperate and not just have mom or dad or the alpha child tell everyone what to do. You have to make sure everybody speaks up. Otherwise, you have just one quarterback and everybody else is just kind of going through the motions. Some people don't care. And like, there are some times where I just am fine with being told what to do. If you know my wife or something wants to just be like, this is what you should do on your turn. And I know it's right. I just will go with it. I'm not going to fight it. But you know, some people are quiet and don't mean to be. So you have to be very careful about quarterbacking. Uh, another one that I think is like a genre is card drafting games. And so the best example of that is another game or a game called Sushi Go, which is, this is going to sound crazy. Uh, there's tons of drafting games, Seven Wonders and things like that. And if, again, if you go to anywhere and just Google card drafting games, you will find lists of them. Sushi Go is so pure and so simple. And it's, you're making a plate of sushi, passing it around to everybody. Uh, picture all the cards going through on the conveyor, like at a real sushi restaurant. It is so simple that I actually think that it is easier to teach people to play Sushi Go than it is to explain how drafting works if they've never played one. So it's like, okay, we're going to play this game quick. And then the next game we play is going to be, okay, it's like Sushi Go, except okay, it is also adorable. It is also eight bucks. It fits in a purse. It fits in a backpack. This is the perfect game to bring to summer camp and not have any expectation of it going home. Like when we have summer camps again, <laughs> this is one of those, I'm going to go on Amazon, buy you a copy along with all your toy, you know, all your toiletries or whatever. If the cards get bent and they never come home, whatever, it's okay. It was only eight bucks and the games are fast and easy to play. Um, I mean, there are plenty of dudes on a map games and that's, that's like a genre in and of itself there, <laughs> but we just call them dudes on a map games. And that's our, your, you are, you have an army and it's like risk right? But they are generally very simple. And I'm pretty sure if I just, I have never done it, but I'm just going to Google dudes on a map and I'm pretty sure. So we're looking at like risk and access and allies and those kinds of games. Those are the example. However, there's, <laughs> there's literally a website that did, that did a listicle of dudes on a map games. Let's see what they say because it was published very recently. So Scythe, uh, oh, Scythe is very good. Scythe is a uh, diesel punk war game set in an alternate history World War I. Wow. Basically, you play it across Eastern Europe and Russia, and it's an alternate history where all the countries are represented because the countries are sociologically countries form in, based on geographic area, right? Everybody kind of gloms together. So the countries are represented, but they're obviously very different, and they live in this world where there are these giant diesel-powered, like mechs picture like the bad guy from iron man one only like five times the size the art is fantastic this is for older kids 
But this is one of those ones that if you just want to do something real crazy, um, it's a big old box with a bunch of big old miniatures in it. Another example is a game called Rising Sun. Uh, it's a war game, but you're all clans of samurai. Dudes on a map. And so they play similarly to Risk in that you're it, it taking over territories and battling units, and it's very strategic. But Risk is long. Generally, you know, it's generally accepted to be long. And kind of fiddly for what it is. A lot of these games focus on being faster so that, you know, there's more action, there's more stuff to go on. Um, my oldest son absolutely loves dudes on a map games. He specifically says, is that a dudes on, is, is that dudes on a map, dad? <laughs> so some other games, set collection, probably my favorite of that is Ticket to Ride. Yeah. I think everyone that has some interest in this needs to play Ticket to Ride. Part of that is because you can buy it literally anywhere. It is relatively inexpensive compared to some of these games, right? You know, some of these games get crazy. But for 40 bucks, you can walk home with a ticket to ride at Walmart. And uh, the idea is this is set in the, ex- the railway expansion period in the United States. And you are a railway baron. And what you're doing is collecting colored train cards and then playing them out to claim routes between cities on the map. It requires and or teaches basic United States geography. And the idea is at the beginning of the game, you will earn, you have secret routes that you need to be trying to build. So you're going to try and build from Chicago to San Francisco or whatever. And so you're going to be working on that and you'll be working on your own secret goals. And at the end of the game, whoever scores the most points wins. And you do that by laying out trains. And that's a set collection game. You're going through cards and trying to pick up collections of these colored cards so you can play stuff out. It is very simple. It looks nuts, but I encourage everybody, set, just set up the board and take a turn, everybody, and then you'll know exactly what's happening. Maybe two turns. And then just wipe the board off and do it again. One of the best games ever made, full stop. And if you like it, there, there are plenty of people who only play Ticket to Ride. They're not like board gamers. They're like Ticket to Ride gamers, and that's okay. Um, there are a dozens of maps and add-ons and extra stuff. There's an expansion that has aliens in it. Uh, there are different maps from different parts of the world. There's uh, my personal favorite as far as like a really challenging one is the heart of Africa. You know, it's a big old map of Africa and it's more challenging because there are fewer, there's fewer ways to get from one point to another. So it's really important that you kind of think as far ahead as you possibly can and you have to kind of build the middle of your route before you build the end you know you can't just be like oh i'm gonna go to dallas to new orleans and new orleans to you know you got to think about the middle and establish control of that middle area or you're done (laughs) that's awesome those are just some examples i mean we could go on for hours but those are probably like the big heavy hitters and i've played a number of those trains as i call ticket to ride it's near and dear to my heart because it's one of the games that got me into board gaming but all of that said, just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Speaking of the word essentials, um, I do. I'm going to take an opportunity to just plug some of my stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Engage Family Gaming, my staff, we get together once a year and do a, I call it like a content sprint. It's like a big project management exercise where we pick stuff that we need to get done and get made. And normally it's around a big event like E3 or Gen Con, et cetera. This year, because there was no E3 and there was no Gen Con, we did things a little bit differently. Um, and we focused on evergreen content. 
And what we wanted to do is we made what we call the essentials and we call them specifically the EFG essentials. That's the branding we used for it. And if you go to engagefamilygaming.com, it is the first article on there. The heading is EFG essentials, great video games and board games for kids. Essentially, uh, they are lists of 25 games that, that are a perfect encapsulation of the options that are either board games or on each console. I want to be clear, they are not a ranked list of the best games on those consoles or best board games. What they are is if someone came to me and said, we just bought an Xbox One or our neighbor just gave our 10-year-old an Xbox One because he got a, you know, a new one, what should I buy? You can look at this list and there is something on there for everyone. And so that's what it's really intended to do. It's intended to be relatively broad in scope. And the idea is it published on July 1st, and then every three months we'll be updating it. Because obviously new games are coming out every day. Thousands of games come out every month, if you believe it. And so we are getting ready to do our first update, and there have been some games that have come out that we're going to have to shuffle some things around. But I encourage everybody to take a look at that and bookmark those things for yourself. If you end up making a lot of recommendations or getting asked a lot, you can certainly send those links off to people. You know, we vetted them. There were some arguments as far as uh, what games made the cut or not. We, uh, we, it was a spirited debate when it got down to cutting from 30 to 25, I'll tell you what. But that's what making lists for gaming companies is all about. So it was a lot of fun making those things, and I want more, as many people to see them as possible. So I encourage everybody to take a look. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.